Hello, and welcome to the Complex Care Journal Club podcast. My name is Kilby Mann. I'm a pediatric physiatrist at Children's Hospital Colorado and your host for this episode. I'm one of the course directors for this podcast series, where we seek to discuss emerging evidence in the care of children with medical complexity and its implications for practice. I'm delighted to have Galen DiDemizio from the Medical College of Wisconsin and Dominic Moore from the University of Utah joining me today. They are the lead and senior authors of Palliative Care Needs Assessment for Pediatric Complex Care Providers, published in the Journal of Pain and Symptom Management in February of 2023. Galen and Dominic, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. That's great. I'm hoping we can start with what brought you to your study and asking you to share what you sought to accomplish in your study. Yeah, absolutely. So I currently work in the Division of Complex Care here at Medical College of Wisconsin and I'm palliative care trained. When I was looking to do a project at the end of my training, I was thinking about the overlap between palliative care and complex care. And I think most people who are listening to this podcast are aware of the trends in complex care and how the amount of spending in this population, the amount of hospital beds being used, just the overall burden of care has increased over time. And so, you know, I've seen several, I guess, forces or, or avenues of ways that healthcare has sought to meet this need for this population. And some of that is is the formation of complex care divisions and, and departments at different academic centers. And also, I think palliative care divisions have grown or expanded to meet this need. As somebody who has a foot in each camp, I've also been curious at how two separate divisions can work together to meet the needs of a population that could be as heterogeneous as medical complexity. And so I wanted to start thinking of ways that I could research or look into how both complex care and palliative care could work together to just optimize the care for these families of children with medical complexity. That's great. Dominic, anything to add with what y'all are hoping to accomplish? I've had the good luck of always being at institutions where there was great support for complex care and great support in palliative care. And I think the question that I, I found really interesting that Galen asked is, as we look at these two groups that really care about kids, how do we make sure that they work in a coordinated and a supportive way and really meet each other where they are and enhance each other's strengths. And so that's what I really loved about this project, which is totally Galen's brainchild. And I was just a- along for the happy ride. No, I think that's great. As I said, I'm a pediatric physiatrist. I did previously work in complex care where at least for part of the time, we also had a palliative care provider in our complex care clinic, as Dominic knows, which was a great addition and being able to bounce ideas off of each other. We actually had a general pediatrician, two or three pediatric physiatrists, and then a palliative care trained physician. And we all, as your study shows, we all have some level of comfort, but also some things where we'd go to that other provider whose training was different than mine who could help me out. So I think that's, it's great that you highlighted what everyone's background was and commented that we don't really know or can define what a complex care provider is, but a lot of us are doing that work. Can you tell us a little more about the methods you chose and your key findings? Yeah, so I decided to really to start in the camp of complex care as opposed to palliative care. I thought the first step to start looking at this intersection is to talk to the complex care providers and get a sense of you know, what do they do? What what are their ongoing needs and how much of those needs could be could fit in with more palliative care expertise to see like where that overlap actually exists. And so 
I decided to, the best way to reach out to a large group of complex care providers is to use the complex care listserv, which to my knowledge is probably the largest group of complex care folks right now and probably the easiest way to reach kind of a captured audience. And I decided to do that just through a fairly simple online survey, a really, for the most part, quantitative and asking Likert scale type of questions, although we did have some avenues for open-ended responses, but it was all done fairly simply. And the way that we analyzed it was really with just descriptive statistics. So I certainly looked at some of the comments, but we didn't do any real qualitative analysis. But the sort of things that we asked about the large categories of needs that complex care providers had, and that's, I think, kind of the first section that you see in the results. And then we broke that apart into symptom needs, goals of care, advanced care planning, care coordination, and then finally the relationship with palliative care. And what opportunities and challenges do you identify while developing and conducting your study? I think some of the opportunities that I discovered, first of all, was the willingness of this complex care community to participate in this survey. I think just the willingness of folks to take the time just to begin with was was encouraging for me going forward. I think some of the other opportunities include the need for assistance in palliative care domains. I think One of the commonalities in the survey results was that most people would say that they could use assistance in a number of different modalities. And some of that was symptom management, but certainly with help with difficult conversations or help with bereavement or talking about end of life, there's lots of room for folks to work with each other and learn more about the palliative care skills. And so I think the next part of that, the opportunities, is the need for some more primary palliative care training. So what I mean by that is not necessarily specialty palliative care where you go and do a fellowship like Dom and I have done, but just learning the skills to do good quality palliative care within whatever realm you're in. If that's a complex care clinic, if that's in a hospitalist medicine, if you're in an ICU, being able to learn some of those basic skill set. And then when you feel like you've kind of hit the limit of what you can do, then reaching out to your palliative care colleagues. As far as challenges, I think the heterogeneity of these programs is going to be something that we'll continue to grapple with, particularly for folks who want to do research, knowing that every program really operates in a different way or often housed in different divisions of medicine, right? And I think the survey kind of pointed that too, that there's a lot of different subspecialists or backgrounds represented in who is practicing complex care. And then I think lastly, the limitation of the survey modality, I think qualitative projects and surveys are going to be in the future steps to better delineate this understanding of how complex care and palliative care can continue to collaborate. Dom, I don't know if there's anything else that popped out to you. I think two things popped out to me. One one that was back in the beginning of, of the design work that was done. And I think because both palliative care and complex care are kind of like almost adolescent specialties within the broad scale of things. There was a sense that we maybe understood their interaction better than we did. And I think it was really useful and also intentional the way that the questions were designed to really get at some of the basics and the building blocks of both fields and the skills that both people brought in. And it was interesting, both in the administration of the surveys and the reviews, just how revealing basic questions can be and how important it is to ask basic questions. And I do think maybe at times in both 
complex care and palliative care, we get ahead of ourselves, maybe to continue that analogy as adolescents sometimes do, and outsize our sense of development rather than reflecting on the foundational pieces of what we're trying to achieve or do. And so it was interesting in some of the reviewer comments, both before it was even submitted to journals and once it received feedback from those journals, to see that maybe not everybody realized how much we needed to focus on fundamentals and understanding and how some of the self-perceptions of how far we've developed or how much certain things have been standardized were maybe beyond what was actually true in the fields. And I remember some of the comments kind of saying like, oh, well, you know, this seems like very clearly or like an elementary thing within complex care or within palliative care. And I remember reading it thinking, well, apparently not, you know, like we we have this data that comes from, I think, a good sample size of folks. And so even if maybe some of the centers and specifically some of the more developed centers felt like they were past the point of asking some of these questions, I think the approach really highlighted the fact that those simple questions are very powerful when you're looking to partner with other people. I think towards the end of the article, you talk a little bit about some people saying, well, I didn't expect them to die within six months, so or not having like a very quick life-limiting illness, and therefore I don't think about palliative care. For me, that's something I'm constantly talking about with my trainees, that palliative care is much more than that. I mean, maybe that's my background and the benefit that I've worked in institutions with strong palliative care presence. But I think that's a real learning point for all of us, even for people who've been in the field for a while, because I think it's striking that the average time people have been working in complex care was 12 years. So that's a long time. If you think of people leaving that far out of training and still maybe there's this gap in knowing what palliative care can support for our patients shows kind of, again, that fundamental issue that we need to readdress and make sure we're all on the same page of how we can each support each other in the care for these kids. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And if you look at like the number one reason why folks in this survey say they didn't offer palliative care, they said, oh, we did, and the families didn't want palliative care. And so really the second question there is, well, how are you introducing palliative care, right? How are you describing it? Are you describing it the way that Dom and I would agree with, what has to do more with somebody who's there for your hospital journey and there to make sure that the hospital and providers are working to meet your goals? Or are you phrasing it in a more comfort care end of life modality, which is accurate to a point, but I would argue doesn't really represent the whole of what palliative care can do. I think one of the things I also thought about with that piece in particular, the well, they've said no to palliative care in the past. And again, I don't know how that was approached with the families or you know, who approached that conversation with the families. But I wonder if sometime in the future steps with what you're doing, you think about when palliative care is introduced, whether that's an acute hospitalization phase or an outpatient visit where you're in a stable spot, because I think that changes the conversation a lot too. And I don't know if you have thoughts on that. I think, I don't know if there's literature proving that it is better to introduce palliative care at a time where there's not an acute crisis, but I think most palliative care providers would tell you, at least from their experience or anecdotally, that it is better to introduce palliative care when you're not truly at the end of life in the middle of escalating needs or in the middle of an acute 
crisis and hospitalization in that sort of setting. But ideally, more outpatient based or ideally at a time where the stress levels have started to reduce so that somebody's coming in and you're not assuming that all palliative care wants to do is talk about death and end of life, but more getting to know a family over time and exploring their needs going forward. Yeah, I mean, we think through, and I'm sure you've both seen this so often, when someone's in like this acute decompensation phase of their child's health, you know, your ability to engage with like long-term goals and thinking is just very different. You're focused on the moment, on getting through that hospitalization or that ICU stay or whatever else. And while I think that palliative care can certainly be helpful and beneficial in those spaces, I think really fully engaging with palliative care and frankly, fully engaging with complex care really requires that you do have on some level an ability to imagine a bigger view of your world than what's going on in that moment. Absolutely. So I think we've talked about some of the things we might change in our clinical practices, but what do you think are some of the other implications for clinical practice from the results of your work? I think it's that more services can certainly be beneficial for optimizing the care for children with medical complexity. That there are risks of people being too siloed or duplicating services or fragmenting services. I think that both complex care and palliative care can work together and do different things in optimizing care for these families. And that's my, you know, that's my strong underlying hypothesis and bias that as somebody, like I said, kind of wears both of these hats, I do think we do very similar and also very different things. But I think if we have ways that we are openly communicating with each other, I think we will find that we will end up doing a net good for these families. And I think that those are the next steps of trying to figure out, well, what, how do we best coordinate our care with each other to then coordinate care with our patients. So whether that's, you know, scheduling ongoing meetings of shared patients between the two divisions or sharing working space together, things like that, where we can get creative about how to shared clinics together or embedded clinics where we are doing a lot of the care coordination, outpatient pieces, while also continuing to explore goals of care, education with each other. I think there's lots of avenues, but I think that this is the beginning for me of really starting to explore ways that we can continue to integrate our unique skill set with each other for the benefit of our families. I think you've kind of said it there and that families recognizing that we each bring something to the table in our different specialties and how we can help the care for their children. Is there, are there any other messages you think for patients and families from the results of your work? I think this was the beginning of research in this area for me. It's a lot easier, particularly for somebody who's a trainee or somebody who's just starting to wait in the world of research to start with providers and get their sense. But I think we remain a proxy as opposed to, to getting the families directly involved. And so I am hoping in the future to explicitly ask families who are utilizing or who have utilized both complex and palliative care, like what did they get out of each service? When would they call one versus the other? And then what were the the barriers or the complications? Was it confusing that knowing who is who or who did what? Did you feel like both services were doing the same tasks at the same time? 
And so the message here is that we did not explicitly seek out a parent or a family voice in this study, and it is missing in this project, but it is something that I'm hoping that this paper is exposing that need going forward to get that voice when we're thinking about the intersection of not just palliative and complex care, but the intersection of complex care and a separate, if it's PM&R, if something else, or if it's palliative care and the ICU, making sure that we're involving family voices when investigating kind of this intersection of two different subspecialties. An additional question thinking about, you mentioned a little bit earlier about, you know, there's some primary training in palliative care, not a whole fellowship. And there's a broader discussion right now about training in complex care and how that looks, whether that's fellowship training, whether that's embedded in pediatric residencies, because you alluded Earlier, this is a growing population that's going to continue to need care across multiple settings. Where do you think palliative care fits in with establishing programs like that for complex care? Yeah, that's a great question. The first thing that pops up to me is communication skills. Palliative care, part of our training and something that we're continuing to hone in on with every patient or family interaction is our communication and navigating pretty tricky conversations or tricky social situations and being a presence that's very family and patient focused while also helping families navigate through some very, very difficult scenarios. And most complex care providers have to do very similar work and do not have the benefit of going through the same type of communication training or knowing where those communication resources are. And so I wonder if that would be a role for palliative care providers in a complex care training would be to help with communication skills. I know, for example, at Dom's Institution at the University of Utah, they do at least a yearly or bi-yearly workshop called UCOPE, where it's kind of open to lots of different people who are interested in it across the university to learn more of these kind of primary communication skill sets. And so I think programs like that for our complex care trainees or complex care providers who want additional training would be a huge asset going forward. Thank you. I think we've hit on a lot of your key findings, but just wanted to see if there are any additional thoughts you had about the goals of care and advanced care planning brought up. So I think we talked a little bit about how complex care is also kind of a nebulous field without a clear definition. And one of the things that came up was about goals of care and how that is also a little bit of a nebulous topic. So I wonder how you think about that and approach that as a palliative care provider in a way that could be helpful for those of us working in complex care as well. Yeah, I think that was one of the biggest lessons for me during this project. I think an interesting takeaway for me was how nebulous of a term goals of care is. And I think probably, you know, you get 10 different providers, you may get 10 different definitions, particularly if you are getting a handful of complex care and palliative care folks. We didn't have a really solid definition in this paper, which I do think is a weakness. But I do also wonder if a future project would even to have folks from different divisions across, say, pediatric medicine, or you can even go broader about what does goals of care mean to you and getting a sense of the variance in those definitions. So that's just kind of a caveat there. I think it is really interesting that the vast, vast majority of participants in this study felt that both goals of care and advanced care planning were in their purview as complex care providers, which is encouraging and awesome. I do wonder if goals of care 
when I think of it as a palliative provider, I think of that as kind of more globally, big picture, what is really important for you and for the life of your child, those sort of things. And this is just my hypothesis, my theory, and I could be wrong, but I wonder what I have seen in my practice here at Complex Care in Wisconsin is that when we ask what goals of care are in our clinic visits, we're actually talking about more practical, smaller scale goals of, you know, what is important for you until the next time I see you in a few months? Is it that for your child to learn this particular developmental skill? Is it getting this certain service on board, this extra, you know, waiver program that helps give this family some more services that they need, those sort of things that can be more like checkbox goals, as opposed to like, it's really important that providers ask me specifically what I want in a given time, you know, this more big picture, making healthcare work for me goals. And so I wonder if that is an area that we can continue to explore so that we don't feel like we are using the same terms to mean two different things, which could then cause miscommunication for each other. But then especially for families, if I'm meaning big picture things in a family things that I'm asking them about what are the smaller scale practical tasks that they're hoping to achieve. I think the silver lining of some of that vagueness is that it does allow for a patient-centered and a family-centered approach. I think one of the things that is powerful about having a little bit of wiggle room is that you realize what is actually important to families. And often when we think through goals of care, we say, what are your hopes and what are your worries? And, you know, if you have someone who's just really, really, really focused on their DME or their other stuff, you know, talking to them about the ethereal nature of parenthood or, you know, what it means to be together as a family, they need a new oxygen concentrator. They don't need quite as much in the way of abstract thinking. And I think that going through it that way allows you to be directed by them. Now, within the advanced care planning space, I I think that is also something that you find that people are focused on very different things when they think through advanced care planning. For some families, they're worried about an ambulance ride, and for other families, they're really worried about what it would ever look like to go through an end-of-life process at home. And so... I guess my hope as we further define goals of care and advanced care planning and come to that definition would be that we're able to maintain a sense of interest and wonder with families when we have these conversations that allows them to lead us to what is valuable to them. I think that's great. I think your article really highlights how we can all work together and learn from each other and make sure we don't live in our silos and take the opportunity to invite some of our palliative care colleagues to teach us and teach our trainees, especially as we're building the next generation of physicians. So thank you so much for your time, Galen and Dom, and thank you to you and your team for advancing the field of complex care. We mentioned the Complex Care Listserv earlier in this podcast. If you'd like to join and learn more from other providers in the field of complex care, please visit complexcarehome.com and scroll down from the bottom of the webpage to the link to join. Thanks for listening to the Complex Care Journal Club podcast. We aim to highlight research that has the potential to be practice changing, that values patient family engagement, is relevant across disciplines and diagnoses, and uses high quality or novel research methods. We invite you to join the conversation by suggesting an article that you would like to see discussed in this podcast using the form provided on the Open Pediatrics YouTube channel. Thank you for joining us.